Welcome to Startup Start Now podcast with your host, Sharina Shiv, a podcast aimed to showcase real and relatable entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and their mentors all living in the UK. Welcome to season six, everyone. It feels so good to say that, and it feels so good to be back in the driver's seat. Um, Season six is going to be a big one. I'm all about challenging myself, getting the creme de la creme guests, and really showcasing what the UK entrepreneurship field has to offer. Just a little bit of a recap for me, if you haven't, you know, joined a podcast before, where the hell have you been? Um, But my name is Sharina. I am originally from Exeter in Devon and I started a property management company six and a half years ago. I also just completed my master's at the University of Cambridge, specialising in all things entrepreneurship and innovation. And I am the lucky one that gets to sit week in, week out, speaking to these amazing British entrepreneurs that are doing extraordinary things. The podcast is now in 125 countries and I always get so ecstatic reading your guys' reviews, people recommending the podcast, sharing it and I am so excited that this week I am joined with another amazing podcast guest. His name is Alan Barrett and he likes to go by Al. He is a serial entrepreneur the co-founder and current CEO of Grenade, and they are one of the most successful UK fastest moving consumer good brands in the last 25 years. In England, you cannot go to a single supermarket, gym, petrol station without running into one of their protein bars, and they really specialize in high protein and low sugar and they're jam-packed these bars with 23 grams of protein and it takes away from kind of all of that unwanted carbs that you don't need and it's perfect for a post-workout snack. That's kind of when I like to enjoy them the most. Today's episode, we get to learn more about Al, the business, the journey he's been on. Um, Him and his wife were able to set up the business. He's gone on to win lots of UK Entrepreneur of the Year awards. He's a mentor for Virgin for Startups. He's an angel investor, a philanthropist, and just recently became an honorary colonel for the British Army. Um, So there's so many juicy things within today's episode. As always, please, if you enjoy these episodes, please stick a little five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, um, also on Spotify as well, and just share it amongst people who in your friendship group needs a bit of motivation has been thinking about starting a business for god knows how long doesn't know how to start this is the podcast for them enjoy the episode guys so welcome to startup start now al how are you doing today i'm very good thanks i'm sweaty i'm sweaty i'm not nervous i've just i'm, I'm racing around so as you know we've am i making you pop- nervous <laughs> yes I'm, I'm very intimidated by sharina and i've um I've, we've rearranged this podcast about 700 times and i didn't want to change it again but i'm really Absolutely. squeezed today honestly it's taken us three years to make this conversation happen so thank you so much clearly you're a very busy man but you're also a man of your words so i really really respect that if I say it, rule number one in business, if you say you'll do it, do it, do it properly. First time and as well. Absolutely. Three goes to do something properly. It's my pet hate. 
And I think that for the listeners, like rule number one, if you want someone, just keep hounding. (laughs) Bachelor the life out of them until they block you or say yes. Absolutely. Get them on every single social media platform and keep pestering them. And voice notes. I love you're a voice noter as well. I will love a voice note. A lot of people don't like that. I've, I've voice note with Steve Bartlett a lot. He doesn't like voice notes as much because um, I think he tends to be in quite noisy places and can't hear them. But I also voice note a lot with his brother Jason. He likes them. The only problem is then you talk about stuff and you obviously can never find it again because it's True. all the voice notes. So you just think, oh, what did he say about that? And you think there's like 600 voice notes. So pros and cons. I do like Absolutely. I love voice noting because they end up being podcast to friends. So like I do 18 minute voice <laughs> so, okay, notes. People, people say that to me. I, so I, I, I do it with suppliers and I go, oh, here comes a mini podcast. They all get like a little mini podcast from me. But the thing is, well, you get tone of voice. And a lot yeah. of the time I'll, I'll be sort of quite blunt and say what I think. And if you put it in text, it's going to sound shitty. Um, exactly. But actually, if you sort of say it, and, and again, you get the benefit of like a, a bit of joviality in your voice as well. They know that you're joking. So most people know that things get very, very misconstrued in email. We've all sent emails, wish we could unsend. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. All that empathy. I am so excited to speak to you today. I'm really interested in sort of touching base on your early years, um, all through to the businesses that you've started, Grenade, um, and also kind of what you're up to now, what else you're dabbling in. Um, So here on Startup Start Now, we always like to start with early days. So tell me a bit about where you grew up and what you were like as a student. I was a horrific student, probably. Um, I've always been academically fairly bright, but I, I think nowadays it's probably really common, but I guess... I think it's probably really common with, with, with men especially, but I think all men are probably on the spectrum at some point. So uh, I think I've probably got some sort of mild uh, autism. I've got like a bit of a form of dyslexia, really, where I, sh- I can't tell the time with an analogue watch. So mm. all, I have to have it digital if I see an analogue watch. It, I can read it now, but it takes me a while. I have to really think about mm. it. So I struggled with that when I was uh, when I was a kid. But I've always had a very photographic memory. So uh, I actually found school quite boring. So I found it really probably fairly easy. Um, and... Even then and now, I never really understood what, because I was always being told I was clever, for instance, but I didn't really understand why, because mm. me being quite literal, a teacher would tell you something, you know, so what's the capital of Peru, uh, for instance, and they'd, they'd tell you it's Lima. Um, and then they'd, they'd say, and they'd ask you the question, and just told you the answer to it, and they'd say, what's what's the capital of Peru? And then you go, well, Lima, and they'd go, oh, you're clever. Mm. Not really, you just told me that. So if you've got a good memory, it means you're clever, basically. So my memory's fantastic. So when I was at school, I could just look at words once, like, um, and I could just I could just remember them. So like f- for years at school, I never got a spelling wrong. And when I was in infant school, and I was probably about six or seven, they started giving me harder and harder words. So things like rhododendron and rhinoceros, and they tried to catch me out once, and they gave me the spelling of phlegm. Phlegm's quite hard to spell because it's got a silent G in it. I think probably six-year-olds probably shouldn't be able to spell these kind of words. But um, I did, it, and I kind of blitzed through. Um, and as such, I probably found it quite boring and I was probably a bit disruptive, not as in mm. throwing stuff around, but I was just, I was just bored um, at school. And then as, as it progressed on into um, senior school or whatever, again, I just, I just found it all sort of pretty, pretty boring, really. Um, mm. I found a lot of the, the, uh, the work probably fairly easy. And uh, I, I sort of got sidetracked with, uh, with the gym and, and training when I was 15 years old. I went to, uh, I went to a gym and work experience. 
and I got distracted then I just kind of fell in love with training and health and fitness and health and well-being and my schoolwork really suffered after that because I just I just used to go to the gym when I should have been doing other stuff so uh and I ended up kind of dropping out of I went on to do A levels and I've got five A's and four B's in my um, GCSEs but went on to do A levels and again I just hated it and I think it was good with minimal work (laughs) to be honest I just kind of I remember in my history exam it was an hour and 15 minutes my history exam and I wrote 14 sides of A4 um, in, in, in an hour, just because. But again, I, I could always, I could look at a question and I could sort of break it down in a way in my mind. I'm good at making simple things easy. Um, sorry, uh, simple things probably quite difficult, but making difficult things quite easy. And I could just tell what they wanted from a question. So I'd just mm. give them, it must have been horrible to read if you're marking it, but I just gave them all the answers I knew they were looking for. And like literally belt and braces, absolutely everything. So there's no way I just wasn't going to get full marks for the answer, even mm. though it probably was a real jumble. The information was in there. So um, yeah, I did that. Bl- blitzed through my, my GCSEs and then went on to A-levels. And, uh, and it, it was kind of a, I guess, a lot more serious then. And uh, I just hated it. I just hated education. I didn't like being there. I just wanted to be somewhere else. I'm one of those people now that if I don't want to do something, I just won't do it. Um, mm. And then I walked out one day and uh, jumped on the on the bus and went to uh, went to the gym. I've been uh, done my work experience at where I've been training for a year and just said I've walked out of college. I need a job. And they're like, well, you can have a job, but your parents are going to kill us, basically. Oh, and mum and dad weren't very chuffed. But they were, they were relatively supportive, I think, after a while. Well, my apostrophe struck that. Um, they were relatively supportive after a while. And um, I've just, since then, I've always done what I've enjoyed. I think school was the last thing I did I didn't enjoy. And ever since then, mm. I, I've loved everything I've done. So what were you doing around the gym then? Uh, I was learning, I guess. I suppose I thought I was just training and learning about, you know, diet, nutrition and, and training and, and kind of getting big because I was skinny at school, so I always wanted to be big. And, and in the early 90s, all the big action stars were like Van Damme and, you know, Dolph Lundgren and Arnold Schwarzenegger and the big action movies in the 90s and the American wrestling was popular. And basically everyone was like really sacked. And I wasn't, so I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to go and kind of go and do that. And um, But I think I know now I was making contacts. I was learning how to treat people. I was learning how to run a business by probably watching how not to run a business. You know, a lot of these mm. gyms will run as extensions of someone's hobby, which is fine. Um, but that only takes you so far. Mm. And I think by watching mistakes of the people made around me, I remember thinking, you know, I don't want to make that mistake. So it's the most, it sounds really obvious, but it's such a powerful way to learn just by observing others. And this gym had... 500 members and I knew everyone's name I knew what they did I knew the wife's name the kids names mm-hmm. um, and I made lifelong friends from it and of course I was you know 16 17 at the time and I guess the average age of a gym member they were probably 10 years older than me so I've got a whole generation of friends that I wouldn't normally have had because you would normally mm-hmm. have friends your own age which is still mm-hmm. had but then I guess and I'd always been probably fairly mature so I think I was just probably treated a bit more um, like an adult um, and I think I learned the art of hustle as well uh there i learned how to hustle um, in yeah. terms of wheeler dealing and i've done a bit of it at school my dad used to be a head of goods vehicle mechanic and he used to work on the cabris and mr kipling lorries and mm-hmm. um where they'd have out of date or short dated cakes on the backs of the lorries and they would somehow find their way into my school bag and they'd find their way of being sold into the playground at school so i was doing that when i was 11 um which again is probably quite common when you hear about entrepreneurs in later life they've yeah. always started early just 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 hustling hustling um, at school yeah so I, you know I worked in a gym uh, in the end for like 10 uh, nearly 10 years um as a personal trainer and I just again I just loved it and it, and it was probably before gyms really took off 
got very interested in supplements and that led to me starting my first business in 1999 which was importing supplements from the us and making my own supplements and distributing them around gyms in the uk most of which didn't want them because it wasn't really a thing and they wouldn't buy supplements off me that they didn't think would necessarily sell so in the end i came up with a concept to basically put them in gyms for free on sale or return and if they sold i'd go back the next week and if they sold anything they paid me for it and replace it and if they didn't i didn't get anything and i drove off empty-handed and i, I, I drove around a lot empty-handed um, you know in the first bit in the back of my car and i wasn't even covering petrol but i was kind of enjoying it and i was enjoying hustling i wasn't actually thinking mm. about making money i was thinking about probably keep people getting benefit from something that i could provide and really that that led into the, the premise of building grenade of people buying products that they get benefit from, you know, initially in the early years, weight loss, and then uh, mm. now in the, the, the more recent times with, with protein bars, you know, we're capturing all the people that fall away from chocolate. There's more benefit to eating something that's better for you than a chocolate bar. We all like chocolate, but there's no health benefit to eating chocolate. Absolutely. And did you, with that business of supplements, were you creating your own brand around it or were you just sort of importing it from America and, and selling a it bit, on? A bit of both, mostly imported because it was the branded American stuff that people wanted. You know, the, these, these were still products that were still in their infancy in the US back then. You know, I'm still sort of saying late 90s um, brands that you, your listeners just won't have heard of, I'm sure, but like Metrex was big, EAS, ProLab Nutrition. Um, you know, America was the shop window to the world, but I call it really for, for, for sports nutrition, definitely. Um, and as it was kind of building up in the UK, remember, there weren't big fitness centers then. the gyms were kind of privately run, as I said, extensions of people's hobbies. They were very mm. hardcore, you know, bodybuilding type gyms. I used to call them spit and sawdust type gyms. You know, the first gym I trained at when I was 15 years old, the basement where all the leg stuff was, it used to flood. So whenever it rained, it flooded. And, you know, if you wanted to go and train your legs, you were going to get wet. So we went downstairs and we'd, we were squatting in a foot of water. And there's like electrical cables and stuff like, like that. And all that. But, I mean, it just wouldn't happen now, would it? But Health and safety, then, health and safety. And we'd be pushing yeah. cars uphill with a handbrake on. We'd be outside being sick. And, you know, if you weren't sick, it wasn't a proper workout. And I was kind of 15, 16 years old at the yeah. time. It's amazing I wasn't killed. Um, but it was just such good fun. And I met such a great bunch of people. And I, I awesome. still speak to most of them now. The gym owner actually was 62 days ago. And, I, you know, oh. this is, I'm going back 30 years now. So um, it's it just, just such great fun. Honestly, such great fun. So um, what did you end up and, doing with the supplement business then? How did... Yeah, sorry. So I, so I imported um, a lot of the American stuff and then early brand, early stage British brands. Um, and then I, I made a, a protein flapjack, uh, which are called okay. Fusion, which was made at a bakery in, in Leicester somewhere. Um, I had a, a whey protein powder that I made, which I called Millennium, because it was like the late 90s and everything was like Millennium. So I called it Millennium Whey. It was terrible, really, to think about it. The product was really good. The branding was terrible. So I learned that I learned a lot about supplements and branding right. then. And again, yeah, it went into the back of my car. And when my car got too small, it went into the back of my van. And then I got a bigger van. And I just carried on driving around um, with, with supplements. And, uh, and I, I built a great business that was probably more of a, a lifestyle business, um, mm. I would say. And I, uh, I then met uh, my wife uh, in 2003. And then she, she was a teacher and she came into the, the business as well. And we did it together. And then one day I woke up and I just fallen out of love with it. I just felt mm. I couldn't really take it any further. I didn't really have the, uh, the enthusiasm to take it any further. And it was ever strange. It was just like someone sw- flicked a switch. Um, and I kind of had the idea for Grand in 2006. So where I was always selling someone else's stuff. Uh, and I think the real, 
the, 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 the turning point for me, I think, was selling American products mm. that were very, very well branded and desirable, weren't necessarily particularly good products. There was a lot of that. Mm. And there was a lot of really good products that weren't very well branded and weren't that desirable, but the product was really good. And I just thought, well, why can't we make a product that's branded, well branded and desirable because it's actually really effective? They kind of settled on weight loss because I knew from working in gyms that most people at some point wanted to lose weight. So the, the, the thousands of conversations I've had over working in gyms for eight to 10 years, I guess yeah. all manifested itself in something that was memorable, effective. There's no such thing as a magic pill, but mm. you can certainly um, help people with all the aspects of dieting they struggle with. And we just thought along the lines of Red Bull, we just wanted one product. So, yeah, came up with a grenade concept. Um, I thought, you know, grenade's a great name, but we uh, could, I thought, you know, the name itself is enough. I don't want to put a grenade on some generic white bottle that just sits on a shelf with everything else. Yeah. So came up with the idea of actually making it into a grenade bottle. So we had to find a tool maker to make us a tool to make a bottle. And like every time we had an idea, it always felt like we were kind of just constantly going backwards. Um, but, you know, sure enough, in 2010, Grenade was was launched um, to kind of a fanfare of nothing, really, because um, it didn't. We just thought it was going to go bonkers and it, it just didn't. It was very, very slow. And I think that's the thing I've learned from building brands over the over time. Everyone thinks we've done it quickly. We're 13 years in. It's still going. And remember, I've got 20 years of experience in training yeah. and sports nutrition before I even started Grenade. So Grenade's a 33 year overnight success. <laughs> You know, you're I'm so right. I think learning. a lot of people are just waiting for, you know, after year one or year two of things not switching on, it's about yeah. binning it. But I guess what kept you going during that time when in the first, second, third year, it wasn't obviously where it is anywhere near where we, it is today? We always believed in it and we kind of had no choice. We were, I'm one of these people, I'm either really in or I'm, you know, I'm out. <laughs> there's no, yeah. there's no gray areas with me. So, we completely committed to it. We put all of our energy and, and, and savings into it to the point that, you know, we were down to sort of £27 in the bank at one point. And we'd really gone all in with this brand. You know, we got money tied up in stock and we hadn't paid for the stock. And mm. um, it was really make or break. And, you know, and, and Jules and I had a, a very genuine conversation that, uh, and I think we've always been very fortunate. We never had and never wanted kids because Grenade was our baby. And we had a conversation that if we ended up kind of losing everything and losing the house and we ended up in just a, a one bedroom bed sit somewhere we'd, we'd still have each other you know so it, it was a it was a very com uh, and I remember sort of thinking you know I don't want to let myself down but I certainly didn't mm. want to let you know my partner down and, and she did it with me and what I was good at she was bad at and vice versa so I kind of took um sort of sales and product development and um my contacts within the industry because I've been in it a lot longer um mm. And then, you know, Jules is like unbelievably efficient, um, got a really natural talent for, for marketing and branding and really um, had this, uh, you know, incredible ability to kind of, you know, protect the brand at all costs and stay true to the brand. So we never doubted really it would do well. I think it was a matter of probably when, not if, because we, you know, and I've, it was inconceivable to me, even sort of 15 years ago, we knew this product was good. We knew if people bought this product, they'd buy it again. And that's really the, the best outcome you can ever hope for any product. Because again, I knew from my distribution days, it was easy to sell a product once, but if they didn't come back a second time, you've got to then sell them something new. And it was kind of, that was the, the model a lot of the British and American companies used 
back then. I think you know, it'd be different now because they'd got very high margin products that weren't necessarily that effective. All the money was going into branding and the marketing to make desirable. Mm. It is similar, I guess, actually, with some products nowadays. You know, lots of money goes to the marketing. You buy the product, it's rubbish, and you don't buy it again. But they, they factored in the fact you're not going to come back. They'll mm. put that money they've made from you and they'll go and find someone else. But I thought 13 years ago, surely it's easier to keep existing people happy than just keep looking for new ones. So we mm. did that, you know, we just did everything we could to make the products um, effective. And the best review I ever read uh, back into the early 2010 was someone who said he, he bought the product and couldn't believe how, how effective it was. But he was honest and, and said, you know, I really wanted to hate this product, but, uh, you know, I love it. And I think one thing you've noticed with Grenade, um, everyone's got an opinion on it, which yeah. I think with a brand, again, it's the most powerful thing you can hope for. There are so many brands out there. Yeah, you look at it and just, who cares? You're you like, know, nah. just, yeah. Just, nah. it's that, <laughs> just don't, I just don't care. So if people love us, great. If people hate us, it's just as good because they've they still, still have an opinion. opinion. Yeah. And if they hate you, they'll tell other people. But actually with us as well, people didn't hate us. You know, just the overwhelming amount of people just loved it. Mm. And probably 80% rebought it, which is amazing for a weight loss product. It's amazing. Um, so, and, and most importantly, you know, I think something like 70% of purchases are made on recommendation for friends. And they tell everyone, because of course you lose weight, people comment on it, oh, you know, you, you, you know I've lost two stone. Um, yeah. And they go, yeah, I've been taking this. Um, and like, so there's no it's also thing like, pill, but... because of the distinctive brand, it's also one of those things that you, I guess for me, it's like being different, being like, oh, I'm not eating a generic chocolate bar, I'm eating a protein bar. And I think the fact that it's, got such a high protein level in it and it's the distinctive brand it's like being trendy in front of my friends as sad as that sounds it's being different and as you said that's when the recommendations people like oh let me try it oh I think it's going to be sandy or it's you know and then when they taste it and they're like oh my god this is actually better than a generic chocolate bar and I'm getting the nutritional benefits from it exactly it's got yeah it's got benefit of course you know we're all kind of mini influencers in our own right you know we're all I think um to be fair this is this the the latest generation um of people you know are again you know they're influencing their parents for the first time so you know I've talked to my parents both diabetic so of course I get them on our bars and our products because you know they like chocolate and ice cream and I don't want them eating that because it's bad for them so I'm I'm giving them advice so whereas you know again 30 years ago it would have been parents to the kids so um you're right I think we all deep down probably want to be a bit different um and I'm you know I become a real evangelist for things you know I get really excited about products and, and brands um and when I find something I like I can't wait to tell everyone um yeah they would say don't like you know, there's nothing worse than a reformed smoker for instance you know they'll go and try and tell everyone to, to, to quit but um so I think having a, a, a a brand that's distinctive and memorable because the big thing really is being memorable um mm. you know all fact all brands are extensions of their founders but um again i knew from working in gyms the vast majority of products people couldn't remember the names you know you you, you tell them a name and you tell yeah try zenadry you mm. know they've forgotten it 10 minutes can't later. even spell so it right <laughs> no can't even, exactly i could because i'm good at spelling but yeah <laughs> but, no you're right they can't remember it so they come back the next day and they go oh yeah i I couldn't remember that product you said, so I bought this one. And it's yeah. like, oh, you know, so again, the nice thing with us, if you've seen it, you, you know the name. And if you Absolutely. know the name, you know what it looks like. So it's it's very, very to remember. So, uh, you know, they say with branding and marketing that it takes seven impressions to for people to remember you. 
And I, I don't believe, I don't know what it would be with Grenade, but I don't believe in mm. seven. I think I think you could see Grenade a lot less than seven times and remember it. Um, because everyone knows what that Grenade image looks like. So give us a 30 second elevator pitch then about Grenade for anyone who's, I don't know, living under a rock or perhaps the, the podcast is in 125 countries. So maybe some countries that you haven't reached yet. What is what is? Yeah, Grenade? so it's, if you've never heard of us, I mean, basically, um, yeah, we make sports nutrition products um, which are extremely effective, um, you know, we think that consumers, you know, get benefit from. And even if you don't train, we make products, you know, I mean, we, we sell hundreds of millions of bars a year. We make protein bars that are as good as, and in some cases, better than, than regular chocolate bars. It's all high protein. It's low sugar. You should find them now. I mean, we're in probably 80 countries at least. We've been in 135 in the past. So there won't be many places around the world that you won't find us. We've got 200,000 distribution points in the UK alone. And basically, if you're thinking about picking up a chocolate bar, which I'm not against, we, you know, we all love our partners at Cadbury's. I love chocolate as much as the next person. Can you be eating it every day? Is it a meal? No. You know, it just helps consumers to make d- different choices. So you go into a petrol station and you're looking for something that you're going to enjoy, that you're going to get some benefit from. You know, we're a really good choice. Mm. Amazing. And I guess, you know, something that you've spoken about is you don't exactly come from a culinary background. Um, how did you take, was it the shakes that came first or was it the protein bar? It was the bars that came first. And this was a process um, of working with um, our, our partners, uh, you know, in Europe that, that manufacture bars and they've got decades of experience doing it. Uh, coupled with me wanting to do something different, I'm actually not liking protein bars. I'd sold protein bars for years in my distribution business. So I've, I've tried just about everything that had ever been made. I've never found one I liked because I don't really like um, particularly alcohol. Alcohol. A lot of them I've got sugar alcohols in. So when you have something that's low sugar, they use sugar alcohols instead. Um, and I always found they a bit of a funny aftertaste. A lot of the time they were really dry and chewy. It was a bit of a jaw workout. It was something mm. you kind of had as a means to an end, um, you know, a sort of portable snack. But you just probably weren't going to enjoy it. Um, and, and something that was attached to protein bars over the years was like, you know, attached to lots of foods that are probably better for you is, oh, well, you know, it, it, it's good for you. So you're not supposed to enjoy it. We made that up. <laughs> you know, why, yeah. why can't, why can't you enjoy something that's good for you? Yeah. So we had to overcome that stigma. Um, and when I first suggested, you know, making protein bars that were a, a, as good as chocolate bars, everyone just laughed at us, you know, even at Grenada board, we're like, we're not going to do this. So I just car- carried on with it, worked for me in secret and basically worked on the formulas and, and how it could work for two years. So between April 2013 and April 2015, we launched. But for several years, going through dozens and dozens and dozens of kind of failed protein bars. Um, but they weren't failures. I, you know, I learned I didn't make 42 failed protein bars. I learned 42 ways about not to make a protein bar that I wanted. So um, wow. it came out. And then when we had that first one that we had that was that was spot on, um, I think the suppliers were getting a bit fed up with it, to be honest. But we had that first one spot on. Um, and, you know, we, we, we agreed we'd launch these bars. I'd sort of 50,000, I think it was. And our, our board weren't very, very happy with me because they told me not to do it. I did it anyway. And I just said, if they don't sell, I'll buy them all. So there was not a lot they could really say to that. Yeah. Because there was no risk for them. We sold them in two hours. And then for the next two oh. years, we were out of stock. Um, okay. Because every so time they came in, they sold. Drilling down a little bit more about sort of finding those suppliers, is that a Google job? Do you have a friend who's a contact that you were able to... Just knew it in the industry. Because again, it just comes back to my... I've been in sports nutrition for 
you know, at that point, I've been in for, again, you know, 25 years. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I was, I'm 47 next month. I walked into a gym when I was 15. So there's just not many gyms, brands, manufacturers, people that I just haven't met over, you know, my 30 plus years in, in sports nutrition. So, and it's not really kind of a massive secret in terms of where to get things made. I mm. think the secret bit, again, really is the, you know, the, the, the branding that goes into it, how you're going to position it so it's memorable, so it's different, so it's effective. That's all the trickiest stuff. Getting product made is really easy. It's like getting product on supermarket shelves is pretty easy getting it on a shelf it's getting it off the shelf that's quite hard you know making something because you've always got this constant battle between Mm. the supply and the demand it's no good having tons of supply and no demand because it doesn't Mm. work there's no point in having no supply and tons of demand because that doesn't work you've got to kind of keep eating them up you know um in Mm. parallel all the time and you'll always have one ahead of the other but they've they've got to you know broadly um stay uh, level with each other because otherwise you just don't have a, a business um so uh, I, you know again i'll always come back to this work in the gym because it's it, it, it's where yeah. I, I just i learned so much about people i learned back then personality gets you a long way mm. um and there's there's something about being probably a you know a likable entrepreneur you can just get people to do things for you that probably shouldn't do or wouldn't do for anyone else and i remember when we made uh, our fat bird the number one selling fat bird in the UK. We wouldn't have known that because we were only buying, we weren't buying any data or anything. It was a competitor brand that rang us up and told us that we were number one. And they were so chuffed for us because they oh worked gosh. for a big corporate. Yeah. Um, and we were just Alan Jules versus the world. Wow. So everyone was rooting for us. Because again, if you were just in some sort of corporate job, I think people were living quite vicariously through us. There's two people trading from their spare bedroom at every mm. show working working that you know the butts off and you know to your point earlier for the first four years we didn't take a salary we never took a day off so any show in the world we were there um you know sampling and talking to people you know as you probably noticed I can talk I talked to thousands of people over two three four days for show you know literally after four days I literally couldn't speak we would crawl there if we had to whereas I think again not knocking a lot of the competitors and corporate brands but you know they were doing a job they they've were got teams. yeah they've got to and again you know they were being paid to turn up talk about something they weren't necessarily I mean well mm. put it this way they were never going to be as passionate about as we were like I said this was our baby so they were just never going to be as hungry as we mm. were remember if this doesn't work for us you know we've lost our house they can always probably go and get another job um, yeah. or whatever so there's something about competing with an entrepreneur um you know that I wouldn't want to compete you know with us we've got competitor brands who've who got budgets of 10 million plus and our budget was like 500 quid and yet we we turn up at a show and we were the ones with that you know with no money we were the ones that consumers remembered mm. um and went and bought everyone gave away free t-shirts and shows we couldn't afford to do that so we sold that we're the only people there selling stuff but because we're the only ones selling stuff we stood out yeah and people have got to part with their cash. So talk to exactly. me about the the body power show. That's obviously such an iconic marketing stunt that you yeah, guys pulled so the, off. So this was the first show that we ever did. And I guess the most iconic one, probably the best decision we ever made in terms of doing a show. Because this fitness show, it was the second time the show had ever been in the UK. We'd never been. Okay. Um, and we thought, but I, I'd been to lots of shows over the years. So I've got a fairly good idea of what to expect. 
and you know we hadn't got any influencers or fitness athletes or anything any ambassadors it was just you know me and my wife so and we thought and, and we couldn't compete with what we knew brands would spend brands would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars building a booth that was kind of so comprehensive and big that you could live in it you know they were like mini houses and then three days later they'll get smashed up and they'd move on to the next show you know and they've spent they'd spend 200 grand on those remember we've got 500 quid so um we rang a friend of mine again i'm interested in the military so uh, i've got a friend who um is an avid tank collector so rang up nick and said Can you actually hi tank? nick yeah as you do <laughs> And uh, he said, yeah, how many? well, he's madder than I am. So we went, hey, how many do you want? Just the one, all day. So got a tank, got it delivered there. Um, and I think we got 12 quid. Of it. We, we blagged a free stand at the um, a body pad because we were taking a tank in and we couldn't afford a stand. It was a, it was a new show, so they, they took a chance on us. But yeah, I think we had 12 quid left of our marketing budget. So we bought two T-shirts. We, 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 paid, uh, so we bought two Fruit of the Loom T-shirts and had them branded up, £6 each. Um, and, we, and we wore those. And then we stood there with our product in front of an Abbott self-propelled gun at the NEC. And as it drove into the NEC, like there was billowing smoke, all the smoke alarms went off. I've still got the original video, actually, um, that. from that being driven into the NEC. But everyone knew we turned up. And it hadn't been done before. So, mm. um, and again, you know, what better, um, you know, what, what better brand statement to kind of roll a tank in there? <clears throat> and, um, you know, we just, we just stood out. And we had some really good conversations that weekend and GNC were there that had got 60 stores in the UK at the time. GNC was owned by Holland and Barrett, we've got, you know, a thousand okay. stores in the UK. And we met the buyer there and, you know, she took a chance on us. And again, we've always been a very divisive brand. When she presented, you know, this hand grenade product to sit on a shelf at GNC, mm. you know, it split the room. As we said, there were people that said, this is just marketing genius. And then there were others that just said, we cannot put a hand grenade on our shelf. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we weren't. And rolling forward probably 12 months after that, we became 2% of their entire turnover wow. just That's... with one product. And they've got That's... tens of thousands of products in store. Um, so, and, and again, it was just this loyal following. And people bought it again and again and again. And people would buy it eight or 10 times, you know. So um, mm. it was... But, you know, these are just the meaningful conversations that we were having. And I think a lot of this has been lost over the years. With I think it's the worst thing about social media. People have lost the art of conversations, interacting with people. You know, I was in a hotel yesterday and they just can't have a conversation with you. Um, and I know, you know, not everyone's kind of good necessarily at conversing, but what an important life skill. And it's free. I couldn't agree you know? more. I mean, I started <clears throat> off in sales um, and, you know, very much being told off at school for talking too much I come from Devon where everyone says good morning how are you how are you doing yeah. and then kind of going to university and working in London where you know people just don't know how to have simple conversations oh, they or... don't talk to you do they I hate that when it goes to London it's just yeah people are just just and again they're just you know obsessed with their own day it's fair enough and getting on but yeah I just find it really strange absolutely um, oh but I absolutely loved hearing that story about how you guys um you know, were able to build up that hype. In terms of pre-launch, you said you sold out pretty quickly. How did you create that hype? And how did you, have you continued to kind of keep the community engaged? Yeah, so what we did, when we sold out with our bars um, and we had 50,000, GNC committed to taking a quarter of them. So they took sort of 12,500 bars uh, just for their um, stores, which was a great start. 
And then it, it, when we got these bars again, we knew it was good. So this was our first bar. We called it Caramel Chaos. It was kind of like a toffee crisp. It was the first protein bar, really, that you were going to eat it and you were going to enjoy it. And you were going to have another one straight after, mm. to be fair. Um, so when you know something's good, we just sent them to everyone that we knew. We sent them to all the distributors, all the gyms, that you know anyone who was on our database. They all just got a box of bars. Um, and then it was just a how many do you want, <laughs> basically. Mm. Um, and they just went. And then, of course, because they sold out immediately, the most powerful thing you can have for selling, you know, again, is demand outstripping supply. So when everyone rang up hours later to buy more, they were gone. So they sold out. But, you know, the next ones were in six weeks. How many do you want? OK, so straight away then I've got like a 12 month order book because everything yeah. then that they can make, I've got pre-sold. So um, you know, that that had been so particularly effective for us as much as it's frustrating never having enough stock. You never really know what that true demand is. But mm. at the time, we were we made a very conscious decision around that 2013 sort of 2015 time period where we were doing really well in sports nutrition. We've got a very loyal customer base. We've got the number one selling weight loss product in the UK. I think we probably still do, actually. Um, effective pre-workout. We were selling lots of protein, things like that. But we were selling products that were only sold in places that you'd, you'd, you'd need some assistance. So, you know, GNC, Holland and Barrett, Tesco, Nutricenter, um, somewhere where you're going to probably ask some advice, because again, these were products mostly that were sort of 40, 50, 60 quid, you know, quite a considered purchase. Mm. So, uh, and of course, when I said at the start, you know, we really looked up to the likes of Red Bull, um, you know, Red Bull are in every petrol station, every convenience store. So if we wanted to do what they've done, we had to be next to them on shelf. But we were never going to put a 50 pound um, protein powder or something in a, in a petrol station, you know, because it just it just wasn't going to sell. Um, so the, the bar idea, again, also was, was, was um, both to create a product that hadn't been done before, but also to put it in locations um that you'd expect to potentially find that type of product at the right price point because a lot of people hadn't got 50 or 60 quid but they'd got two quid so and grenade was you know again it got this great following but we're making fairly expensive considered purchases so it just felt natural to me that you know if you were going into a petrol station and probably wanted to buy a mars bar because of the limited offering what was in there or a pasty or a sandwich or something like that you know why wouldn't you pay a bit more and have something that was better for you so we kind of we didn't invent protein bars but we invented good ones and we invented the concept of putting them in all the places that they weren't so um you know getting into petrol stations really was um was probably you know very key um mm. to just being available um and as as we were sort of putting bars in petrol stations and we got very limited supply um just the kind of the, the, the social media was starting to become uh, more popular in sort of 2013, 14, 15. And then, you know, you couldn't get, you couldn't buy these bars anywhere because everyone was sold out. And then if someone, you know, there was, there was a petrol station on the A14 that had got some, someone had tweeted it and everyone had retweeted it. And it like, they've got a carb killer on the, you know, that petrol station in Peterborough. So all of a sudden, and you get a really boring stat about petrol stations, they sell very consistent amounts of fuel all year round. Because generally, people's driving around doesn't really change. So if fuel prices stay consistent, and obviously they go up and down, you know, from one year to the next, you'll use about the same amount of fuel. They mm -hmm. sell a bit more um, in summer because people travel around a bit more in summer. And, and that's it. It's very consistent. So where they make the money is in the shop. And the average spend, ignoring fuel, 
in a in a petrol station forecourt. It's about five quid. People buy a magazine, newspaper, coffee, something, sandwich, something like that. So, um, and then we come along, and all of a sudden, that five quid average spend in a petrol station turns to twenty quid, which is monstrous if you're a petrol station because to go and spend twenty quid to on a something. Daughter of a petrol station. There you go. <laughs> but, so is what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Does that sound correct? Is that spot on. My dad made very little on fuel itself a penny two at the most um he got really excited every time he sold a bag of coal which was outside um he got very very happy when chocolate bars chewing gums as you said so yeah everything in the shop is sell 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 fuels just the thing that they do um so yeah everything you've said is is completely spot on (laughs) so this gets better so then we come along and um you know chatting to sort of and, and then we did what I call the hand-to-hand combat so we got sort of 10 petrol stations basically as a trial so I went and sort of met all the petrol station the operators the owners um gave them a t-shirt gave them a couple of bars to try and I explained the margin they'd make by selling this bar as well instead of a chocolate bar so yeah. let's say they made 13 pence on a chocolate bar they'd make one pound fifty on us so straight away you've got 10 times the cash margin but actually, as well, our rate of sale was 10 times that of a, of a chocolate bar. So imagine when, it's when. 10 to the power of 10. So it didn't take much convincing for petrol stations then to start really like putting them in the key locations in, in stores. And people are going by petrol and they go, do you want to try one of these? Yeah. I'm sure nine out of 10 didn't. But again, if one in 10 did, um, fantastic. And then I said they enjoyed it and came back. And of course, all of a sudden, then we start getting the data and I become obsessed with the data. So straight away, people are now turning up petrol stations. They don't want petrol. They want to buy a protein bar. And if they don't buy a bar, they buy the box. Right. So they're walking in and spending 20 quid and leaving. And they're just selling boxes and boxes and boxes. So then all of a sudden, from being everywhere in the UK that you could buy sports nutrition products, and we were in it, you know, we were everywhere. We had all this white space ahead of us. So we got a list of all the UK petrol stations from like someone who owned one to say, you know, Euro Garages and Rontech and, and, um, and whatever, you had 500. And then there were two of us. Um, and, and we'd say, right, I'll start at the top. You start at the bottom. I'll meet you in the middle. And we'd be sending it out. And it was just such great. And ringing them up and then petrol stations and ring up. And they'd say, have you got any point of sale? So we're sending out bar images and, you know, shelf cards and stuff. And we just started like really sort of hyper-focused on, um, petrol stations because what interested me we've got 60 GNC stores there's 10,000 petrol stations in the UK so which is the bigger opportunity <laughs> you know it was a lot of hard work but and I think with fun. your product the mindset would be how do we get into supermarkets as quick as possible but you took a completely different route which then paid yeah off. we did we were dual tracking it with supermarkets so the reason I like uh, I liked convenience and petrol stations was just because uh, pe- you know bars weren't there and there were just more of them um, mm. and they could probably make decisions a bit quicker we were dual tracking we were already in Holden Barrett and we were dual tracking it with the likes of Tesco who've been fantastic to be fair they were really supportive it was just at the time that pe- um, chocolate bars were coming away from till points uh, mm. and there was kind of the, sort of the war on sugar started really so and there was the sugar tax on drinks for instance and um, they were really supportive but they just said, we get it. We think you'll get there, but it will take years. The reality was it took about six weeks because they were saying you'll never get someone to jump from spending 50 or 60p mm. to spending £2.50. It's just too big a jump. And I think that was the thing that everyone um, underestimated, probably apart from us. 
And I, I wasn't, I never compared us price-wise to chocolate bars. I still don't because protein is expensive and sugar is cheap. So you can't make that comparison. I compare myself to what else can you buy for £2.50 or three quid. You know, you're going to get a, a sandwich that's probably got five or six hundred calories in it, probably, you know, full of mayo. And again, classic, again, for pet hate, you know, all the filling shoved at the front of the sandwich and you get it and there's just nothing at the back. You just buy bread, really. And again, I hate that. So, um, you know, rather than probably having a disappointing sandwich, you could probably have one of our bars, feel like you're eating chocolate, but because it's protein, it's more satiating, so it actually fills you up. And you feel like you've had chocolate and you feel like you've had something better for you and you've spent the same as a, a pasta or a sandwich, really. So everyone underestimated that, but we, we were pretty sure that people would pay more mm. for something, um, you know, a better alternative. Definitely. And sort of talking about money, um, I know initially you said, you know, how much did you have to fund the idea? Oh, originally, um, I mean, we did it over a period of a few years while we exited from uh, from uh, our, our sports nutrition business. So had the original idea back in 2006 and then mm. funded bits of trademarking and stuff back from then. So when we had an idea or something, we'd go and trademark it immediately. So trademark the name back in 2006, but didn't actually launch until 2010. And that was partly because not knowing what to do, the market wasn't ready. We were still figuring out what we got we then we we got another our distribution business which I sort of fell out of love with, which I sold to my best friend, um, which I then worked for 12 months in that business as a handover because I wanted that, that business again to be my baby. So I wanted that to continue. Um, but the original, um, by the time we'd started up, and of course, I knew suppliers who'd extended credit terms to us. So we managed to beg, borrow and steal quite a lot. Um, and we had an original £500 startup loan from UK Trading Investments. It was called Passport to Export. Um, and that's really where the money came from for that first show. It was just that, that wow. 500 quid, which you, you, we claim you had to spend it to claim it back. Um, so we got that back. So I suspect probably the most, um, you know, the, most, the most effective use of a UK TI Passport to Export loan ever from 500 quid to 500 million, <laughs> I'm guessing. Mental. So, Mental. Um, but yeah, you, you, you just limp along. It did help in the fact that, you know, we didn't have children. So, you know, we didn't need to, we lived, you know, relatively sort of frugal uh, life. I've been living on supplements for the last few years, so I could make supplements go quite a long way. Um, don't drink, don't smoke. You know, wasn't interesting going out sort of clubbing or anything like that. You know, Grenade just literally was... I think the best way of saying it's probably a hobby that turned into an obsession. And I guess, you know, you worked with Jules, your wife. Um, what's it like working with your better half? It's the best and the worst thing. Um, so definitely couldn't have done it any other way. And I don't think we'd have wanted to do it any other way. I think the hardest thing with having a brand is you might believe, but then you've got to, you've got to take everyone else on this journey with you. You've got to convince others. So mm. I think the fact there's, you know, being a solo founder is probably quite rare and quite lonely. So I think the fact that we co-founded and we both believe, you know, we found that that one other person, which was a, a start. So straight away, you know, we doubled the size of the business by there being two of us as opposed to one of us. Um, but of course, you know, it's all we did day and night was grenade. It's, you know, we ate it, breathed it, slept it. So it's when it's all you do, you know, it's not healthy. So I, I wouldn't. Like I said, it was great for us. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's the best and the worst thing. But, you know, the reality is as well, it's incredibly hard on a relationship. Mm. So, you know, if you 
finish work at five or six o'clock like most normal people that's saying you go home and then you know you can chat about your day and you're you know you look forward to seeing your partner in the evenings let's say or whenever you get home from work we never had that because we've been we've been together all day so we just mm. had no time apart ever for years which isn't really that healthy either mm. and if we actually managed to go overseas or kind of have a holiday it wasn't a holiday we were going we were going to a show somewhere there was a show in spain or america or something so um you know we'd make it fun we'd enjoy it but we were there mm. to do a job and, and, and work um and like i said you know we i mean i think even to this day i've never taken a day off right because you just don't when you have a business it's like saying you took a day off from having your kids you just don't you just never have a day off as being a parent because you can't and it's the same when you've got a brand so i think people don't understand with businesses and brands you can't just turn them up and down and turn them on and off as you want if you're going to do it you're committed to it um and even if you know i mean even if you exit as well you'll probably still there won't be a day goes by you don't think about it and think mm. you made a good decision or a bad decision so it's always there with you when you create something from scratch it's you know it's, it's there forever and i think that's my thing with grenade is i want it to be my legacy so i want it to survive you know long after i do because i want people to get benefit from from this stuff because that genuinely makes me happy mm. i love that um, and I guess what's been um, like one of your biggest mistakes that you've learned the most from then? Uh, I'd say probably, I mean, there'll be lots and it's difficult to isolate. I mean, we made lots of products that then we thought would work and didn't, but it's all things that you learn from. So I never really class those as as mistakes. If you're learning, that, that it's not a mistake. I think a mistake is something that's a catastrophic disaster and no good can come of it. Mm. Um, but I don't think that ever happens really with a business or brand because unless you go but make a mistake and you go bankrupt um there's, there's there's learnings to be had i guess i'm very very impatient and i guess you know potentially it would have been good to probably give the brand a bit more time and uh, we should have been more patient with things perhaps but um we probably could have been more patient with some products we launched perhaps we didn't give them enough time to you know to, to take hold but i'm just a big believer in sort of double down on what you think is working and Again, it's a it's a classic mistake. And actually, someone messaged me two days ago and asked me this. They've got three businesses they were working on, and they said, um, "How did you decide to kind of, you know, just just focus on one as an entrepreneur?" I said, "Well, it was really easy." I said, "Because we we focused on the one that we thought would have the most fun and had got the best opportunity for success." If you're running three businesses, are you running those three businesses the best of their ability? Because you just can't be. You can't mm. run, you know, because, you know, again, it's like children have one child, they get all your attention, you have three, they get a third of your attention. Yeah. So you can't be everywhere at once. So it's it's a real classic mistake, I think, where people, they don't double down on things. But we've probably been quite good at, at, at doing that and realising something's not working quite quickly. Um, I suppose other mistakes, you know, we, we've hired people, but with hindsight, I wish we hadn't hired. But again, there's always learnings from them, you know, hire slowly and fire quickly. Um I don't think we've probably ever less than, lost a member of staff we wanted to keep, maybe once or twice in 13 years. Um, you know, so um, I guess, actually, to be fair, something else. I wish we'd probably managed to hire better people quicker, potentially. Mm. You know, after four years, I think there were six of us. And for the first two years, Jules and I were the only employees. Could we have got someone faster if we'd let go of a bit more? Maybe. But it's difficult to know what you need because you need every role you've got two people doing every single role in the business you yeah. don't need someone who does finance or sales or marketing or warehousing because you need bits of everything so it's difficult to isolate what you need first um and the first member of staff we have actually she's worked for 10 years she just she literally just left about 
two or three months ago. And she oh, was, she gosh. just came in as an office manager just to help Jules out. And just, I think just to man the office really when we weren't there, the problem yeah. we were having, we were going out to supply meeting to Tesco or to go and see um, uh, external suppliers or whatever. And then there'd be deliveries coming and going and there was no one there. And we both wanted mm. to go to Tesco because it was, I knew the product and Jules knew the marketing. So yeah. Um, we we just really needed a, a body to sit at, you know, when we got our first uh, warehouse, which we still own, we rented out, but we still own that first warehouse. Um, Where's that base? And we needed someone to be that. That's in Solihull. Oh, yeah, God. so Radway Road in Solihull. So had always been, um, never went far from Birmingham, <laughs> you know, yeah, ended yeah. up in Solihull. Um, but um, yeah, we just needed a body there just to sort of receive deliveries and sign for things. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, we probably could have hired people quicker. I think, you know, when we started attracting investment back in 2014, that was probably the biggest criticism. You know, mm. it's just you and Jules. You know, there's, if you get hit by a bus, there's no, there's no business here, which was fair yeah. enough. I was kind of a bit upset at the time, but it was, it was fair enough. And there's like a hundred of us now. So, so the team. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you. The team went from two to how many now? Oh, we have about a hundred. Uh, I would okay. say something like that, and that's a hundred directly. Uh, I'm not, I don't know how many indirectly because obviously you know we don't we don't do our warehousing now it's it's outsourced DCS do it at Banbury who are fantastic yeah. um, they'll have fifty warehouse people that just work on our brand I guarantee it so um, you know we don't class those as employees because they don't work for Grenade they work for him but mm. yeah if we were to I guess start to roll out what we outsource um, yeah be a, be a, a you know be a huge brand I mean next year we're probably tracking revenue about 180 million next year Incredible. but most of our stuff's wholesale so it goes to tesco's and amazon and whatever you know that's retail sales um that's you know 450 500 million in retail sales if we were just pure d to c you know that would be yeah. our, our revenue um so i don't know what the brand would be worth off the back of that probably closer to a billion when was the last time you had a valuation uh, so the last clean valuation we had was when mondelez came in and that was uh, march 2021 so um, yeah, it'd be three years ago next year, and that was that was two hundred million. It's it's way beyond that now. Mm. Um, the business is twice the size. Um, you know, way beyond that now. I mean, Oreo has been enormous for us. Um, I think you know having some of these brand partnerships, some like Oreo, it's just been just been ridiculous. I mean, I think we were selling about nine Oreo bars every second um, when we launched. It's just they're just crazy numbers. It, I still, to be fair, it doesn't really sink in. I bet sink in. So I heard on a podcast you started on free school meals and then obviously now That's you've right. been able to sell the 200 million. I wanted to ask you, you know, does money make you happy? And No. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you straight away. Look, I've had money, I've not had money and I know what I prefer. But being perfectly honest with you, but does money make you happy per se? No, it doesn't. Does it give you options? Of course. Does it create more problems than it solves? Guaranteed. Um, and I think for us, I feel very, very fortunate that we've, um, we've generated wealth through work. Mm. I think it, because it's really hard to bash someone who's worked hard so and continues to work hard. And I don't think I can ever think of anyone that's ever had a dig at us maybe once in, in 30 years otherwise people I think are just generally really happy if you win the lottery people don't like it if you inherit it people don't like it you know if you were to just you know if you steal it people definitely don't like that so I think you know through uh, to, to you know to build a business um that, that's got value 
from where we can. We always say, you know, we know the value of a fiver. Like I said, I grew up on free, uh, free school meals. So I was like the only kid in my year that had free school meals. So I couldn't be the only person that was just standing there waiting with my green ticket. So I used to walk home. Uh, 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 even though we lived over a mile away, I'd walk home, um, grab a bite to eat at home, and then walk back again. So I walked walk like five miles a day to and from school. Um, one of the reasons I was so skinny. But um, And I was in the house for probably 10, 15 minutes at the most. But I just... I'd, I'd rather just be walking and doing something than kind of being, and like I said, I hated school, so any excuse to get out of school. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it, it, no, it, it doesn't doesn't make you happy. I know, you know, I like cars and things like that. And yeah, I mean, I remember when I bought my first sports car. Of course, it's amazing, but I like driving. And actually, buying, say, your first Lamborghini is incredible. Of course it is. But is it as impactful as just your first car? Mm. no it isn't actually your first car is more impactful because it's you make you it's a bigger change to go from not having a car and walking everywhere to having your first transport is a much bigger leap than mm. going from a Fiat Panda to a Lamborghini because they'll both get you there yeah um, so so when I, you've got that kind of money what gives you the same kind of hit then like what have you lately bought that has made you because obviously you know when you buy things it makes you feel exciting has there been anything it does temporarily it does temporarily but so I think the trick with this and I know people look you know way 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 wealthier than I'll ever be I've got probably half a dozen friends who are billionaires and I think you know if you have to buy stuff to make you happy or whatever I think it's a road to nowhere because Mm. It, it you know it can't continue i mean I, i've got for instance you know this is something Stephen bartlett always talks about isn't yeah, it yeah so we about just... it a lot because the, the, you know the higher the high the lower the low yeah. and remember you know when you're just and we've both done this you know where you you slog up that mountain to get to the peak you know if it's everest you know what the peak is and of course you get there everything else from that peak you're coming down so you're mm. still on a high but you're still coming down so and, and you know you, you might have again years to get to the top be at the top for a very short period of time and you know years to come back down again but you're only still spending a very small amount of time at the top i was liking it's like an olympic athlete that's won a gold medal you know some at some point someone's going to come along that he's better at it than you are or you know if you're a, you know a, a pop star and you've got a number one record you know at some point someone is going to knock you off the top slot so at the moment, you know, Grenade's probably on top with bars. We've got 50% market share. And, you know, it, it's up to us to kind of keep that going. But I guess what I'm saying is it's no good just doing everything just for that small pinnacle of success, whatever that may be. You have to be loving the journey. And that bit of success is just the icing on the cake. I mean, look, mm. the, the last thing I bought was a helicopter. Um, so, and, you know, I'd always kind of wanted one. But for me, it wasn't just about having... But the helicopter, you know, it's a lump of metal. It's what it affords you. And I wanted to be able to, me being me, me being an entrepreneur and wanting to be in control of my own journey, I, you know, I went to learn to fly one. So I've had my pilot's license for aeroplanes for 20 years. So okay. now I've got a pilot's license for planes and helicopters and I can, I can fly both and I'm lucky enough to own both. Um, you know, but can I survive without I love how you just say that so casually. <laughs> Well, I just, I just I, I, you know, it's, you know, it's unbelievable. I'm not saying it's it isn't, like, yeah. but it's, it, you, you can't be defined by your stuff. I had this conversation no. with Richard Branson and, and you know, and I, and I, I actually said to Richard, you know, well, he, he said to me, you're happy that you got there. 
And I said, no, because I don't know where there is. And I said, where's there for you? And he said, I've never yeah. found it either. He's looking at space. You know, his, his closest neighbour, Necker, you know, owns Google. Mm. so you know you've got to be really careful making comparisons because I think Richard's pretty successful he doesn't think he is because his neighbor owns Google so he feels like an absolute you know never said this but if he wasn't the way he is that make what's that making the failure Mm. (laughs) you know so I am it's actually one of the reasons I really dislike social media because you just make comparisons to people and again you're seeing that that highlight reel of someone else's life um and, and again, I just think more harm than good comes from stuff like that, to be perfectly honest. So I try and follow people that inspire me, people I genuinely know, you know, mm. and like. The amount of people I know that follow people they don't like, what's the point? Why would you, you wouldn't go out for a meal with someone you didn't like. Um, I don't really understand it with social media. So I think there's a lot to be done there. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, you've got to think about this stuff's the icing on the cake. You know, I've got an old Land Rover Defender, which I enjoy driving just as much as a um, as, as a Lamborghini. You know, they're, they're just essential luxuries, aren't they, to be fair? And I think, you know, it's easy to get tied to things and become attached to things. But I think, uh, you know, it's all just stuff. Remember, everything you have in life, everything is borrowed. Nothing's yours. Not even your health, money, health, possessions. They're all borrowed. You know, you're coming and going. Um, yeah. I'm not going to be the, you know, I wasn't the first person to live in this house. I'm not going to be the last, you know, mm-hmm. I'm borrowing it. So mm-hmm. I think when you start thinking about things like that, you know, my helicopter's borrowed, <laughs> you know, isn't it? It's, it's going to go back at some point. You know, I'm not going to give it forever. I won't be around forever. So I think yeah. just you know, really enjoy the journey. I know it sounds like it's, um, you know, such a cliche, doesn't it? But I think, you know, Richard always says he's successful because he's happy, not happy because he's successful. And I think, you know, as long as you're sort of happy and healthy, anything on top of that's a bonus. Think of all these Definitely. things as a bonus, you know, not not the be all and end all. Definitely. And that kind of full circles back to kind of health, nutrition, just taking care of number one and, and not getting caught up. I guess there's so many more questions I could ask you that about this. And in terms of, you know, is it better to have friends that are doing better so that you're constantly looking up or is there a time when you know you should be content with what you have but again I haven't got time to fully cover all of that um I have some audience questions um so if we just do these as kind of quick fire Ralph yeah, sure, London, I'll do my best I can't do quick fire um Ralph from London wants to know if there was no impact in your success what would you have not sacrificed to have the same end result so um if there was no impact in your success mm-hmm. what would you have not sacrificed to end up at the same result so what he's okay, saying is so, like where you are what have you had to sacrifice to get to where you are I mean look definitely sacrificed a lot first of all there's two parts to this answer because I don't think I'm quick successful. Fire, quick fire. <laughs> okay well look so, so put it this way I don't consider I'm successful I'm on a journey which is okay. going somewhere so I, I don't think, by all means, I certainly haven't got there because I don't know where there is. I think, what would I, this is a good one. I mean, look, you know, we sort of sacrificed probably our marriage to a certain extent, um, mm. you know, and that probably wasn't worth sacrificing. Certainly not worth sacrificing your health. The last deal we did with Mondelez, um, it's about as brutal as anything you can go through in terms of not sleeping for three months, working mm. well in excess of 100 hours a week um you know just all hours for, for months not just you but your team close to you um it's pretty brutal 
and again, you know, I mean, I actually, I had severe neck problems after that deal for nearly a year. Um, and I actually thought then, do you know what, even for a 200 million pound exit, it's not worth sacrificing your health. I mean, I was in so much pain for months, um, you know, through, you know, through that. And that was just from spending so long fixated at a computer. So look, you should mm. never sacrifice the ones that you love. You should never sacrifice your health for anything really, because it's just too valuable because that puts a price on your health and your health is priceless. Um, so hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, no, it really, really does. Um, Ricky, also from London, says influencer marketing has been on the rise in the last several years. Um, how have you effectively used this method? We've been rubbish at it, if I'm totally honest. <laughs> I don't actually believe in it. So we were really slow to get on that because I think up until a couple of years ago, we'd never, ever paid anyone to say nice things about Grenade because I guess... If they like it, talk about it. And if you don't, don't. <laughs> I guess it's just how I feel. We haven't got the budget to do it. And I just feel it, I just, it feels so disingenuous. So, yeah, of course, we've got partnerships and stuff now and money changes hands. Do I think they're particularly effective for us? I actually don't. I can't tell you if they work or not. Because, again, if, you know, diversity are fantastic. They're great friends of mine. I've always liked them since I first saw them 10 years ago. Britain's Got Talent. We always, yeah. we only work with people that we really like, trust and respect. Such nice lads. Um, but, you know, with them, with being part of their latest tour and what they did, have we sold more bars from it? No idea. <laughs> you know, do people run into WH Smith and buy, buy protein bars because they saw Ashley Banjo eating one? I, I just, I've just literally got no idea. Yeah. <laughs> You've got Tommy Fury on your page as well. Um, oh, we have actually. Yeah, of course, Tommy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all people who just really like our brand. And again, are just using it and sharing it. Bear Grylls. We've had some absolute crackers over the years. Um you know, so and I, I, it, again, it's something else I dislike about social media. You know, uh, I've X amount of followers. You pay me, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll push your stuff to them. I just don't like it. Um, I'm old fashioned with that. I'm, I'm probably, I'm, I'm <laughs> no. probably, um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a minority. But I'm just really old fashioned with that. Um, Amy from Baton on Trend wants to know what was the first thing you bought when you sold to Mondelez? Uh, when I sold to Mondelez. I bought, let's have a think, give you the correct answer here. It was probably, the bit, the first big thing probably was that helicopter, to be fair. That was probably the biggest thing, because other stuff I already had. Um, which was so, out um, of interest, Al? Like, roughly. Which, which, which was that? Well, the helicopter. How much was it? <laughs> oh, it's a couple of million dollars. Um, and the, but the, the, the thing is, that's easy to go and buy something. The difficult thing there is learning how to fly it. That was probably £100,000 of sort of running costs and flying lessons and stuff. Bear in mind, I already have had a pilot's license and I'm busy. That was a really difficult thing to try and squeeze in. So um, but yeah, I've got my rating now. I've got it about a month ago. So I'm now, I can go off flying around and about. And the, but Any also trips now, you've made like lately? Uh, I've barely been anywhere because I don't get time. I'm, I'm, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll be off down to Cornwall in the next day or so. Um, but I still haven't actually done that yet. I've got a house down there. I haven't flown to Cornwall yet on my own. I haven't had a chance. It's all the weather's, or I've had time and the weather's been terrible. You're very restricted on weather with um, with flying, especially helicopters. Um, in England, unless you're yeah. brave, unless you're braver than I am. Yeah, certainly in the UK. That was probably the biggest thing I I, I bought because there was like I've had it a year and there was a year lead time um, mm -hmm. with it as well. Okay. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing. So Suresh from Birmingham asks, at Flight Fund and Virgin Startups, what kind of company stands out to you? What stands out about the founder and the team? And how quickly is your impression made about the businesses? Yeah, so firstly, really quickly, it's probably worth saying with this, because it answers the question, I've got five things I look for with businesses and investments, and I'll run through what they are. Um, 
Steve kind of got me involved with flight phone. We've been friends since social chain days. And um, I just I just love Steve. I mean, he's just he's the master at marketing and, and um, conversing. I'd love to be 1% as articulate as he is. Um, real nice guy. I've got a lot of time for Steve and he's got a nice family. Um, the, but he doesn't know FMCG. And because he's very self-aware, he knows he doesn't know FMCG, but he knows I do. So basically, he's got people in his fund around who cover his blind spots. Um, but I look for a product, brand or service that I'd, I'd pay money for, because um, that's a good start. Because if you wouldn't buy it, why would someone else? It doesn't matter if it's a you know helicopter or a protein bar. If I wouldn't want it, you know, I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't be interested in being involved in that journey. So that's the first thing. Secondly, you need backable founders. Um, so you need people that you really believe and you want to support them on their journey. You feel you can add value and you'll enjoy working with and you, you can add value. I see loads of businesses. I just think I just can't add the value here, to be honest. Um, so the founder one's really critically important because, you know, without the founder, you've got no business. Um, a sensible valuation. So lots of this is most fall down on this one because they think the business is worth billions and it's losing money. And it's like, I don't know how you get from loss making to make like, you know, you, we're just too far apart. Um, that's quite common. Because again, let's remember, most of these fail. You see the ones that do well, you, you mm. forget all the thousands that fail. So sensible valuation, um, you know, it, it's got to be at least break even. Um, if it's loss making, it's really hard to fuel a loss making business uh, unless it's very, very, you know, very specific. Um, something that doesn't need too much time. I've had businesses and brands in the past and they, um, they just want me running it for them. And it's like, I, I just, I don't do that. You know, it's like your business. I'd have 1% share order for the business for you. So you've got to be something where, you know, minimal time required or where again, you think be effective. And number five, most important, it's got to be fun. You can tick all of the boxes, but it's just boring. And you just think, you know, why do it? So I, I don't do anything that's boring. So um, they're the things I look for in terms of um, flight fund. And again, already investments. And, and again, they've got a really smart team looking at those because there's been, I think, 9,000 applications so far. So they're doing all the digging uh, through the interesting ones. But yeah, there's some interesting FMCG stuff for sure. Um, do you do any investing you know, in yourself? Yeah, so I have actually, yes. Yeah, so I've invested in um, the, late, the latest one actually is Brewdark. It's a, it's a performance clothing brand. Um, they make a lot of outdoor stuff, ex-military to um, ex-SBS guys from, from Paul. Uh, and again, I love the military angles anyway, and I like the mindset. And the nice thing with these guys, again, they tick all the boxes. I, I really like them. I, I believe in their vision and journey. And if I just said, you know, Stars, Louis, you know, do you want to go and crack America? You've got to walk there. They, you know, they'd be off. They'd be no, oh. you know, they'd, literally they'd yeah. be off. So I love that. They're just, you know, they're just machines, which is great. Um, really nice lads that I like, uh, trust and respect. Great products that, again, I was buying anyway. Um, and again, I think I think there's a you know there's a there's a there's a billion dollar clothing brand in there somewhere. We know it's going to take time and, and, and energy, but I think I found out yesterday they they just hit their first uh, ten million, I think ten million revenue, um, which again is your first sort of not your first big milestone, but it's a big milestone. So yeah, um, yeah, I found out yesterday. So I just dropped him a message last night. I said really unbelievably proud of you. And I know it's hard earned and it gets easier from here. So, but you know, congratulations because that's a big milestone. So yeah, invested in True Dark. Um, so by all means, check that out. Um, Again, it's expensive stuff. It's really, really, really nice. You know, again, yeah. I learned years ago, you do kind of get what you pay for. Um, and, you know, when you're out and about and it's cold and it's raining, you know, you don't really want a cheap coat on. <laughs> you, know, you don't want your fair, feet, so. fruit, your, your six pound t-shirts. <laughs> no, well, look, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's only bad clothes. 
um my finnish friend told me that when we were trekking and it was minus 30 and um yeah we went out uh like uh, on a on a rib we did a demonstration in a boat and it was uh, obviously we've had, a, we've had a terrible summer haven't we and it was it was april time and it was pretty cold and the guy that did the demo was wearing another brand of clothing um and he was froze and uh, I, I got my through dark stuff and i was not sweating it was like that scene from dumb and dumb and we said do you, want, do you want my spare pair of gloves i'm sweaty it was like honestly have, wear anything of mine i'm like dying here and he was that's like it was blue but but you realize then it's really really good stuff so um yeah that's an interesting one to watch as well i'm talking about something else of... i'm going to remember i can't share yeah but i'm going for another one as well but can't share Ooh. that just yet okay well we'll have to look out for that um i guess you know it was amazing that you were able to sort of keep up with me and your messages and um, through lots of different social media channels how do you sort of run the business do everything that you're also doing and then keep on top of linkedin instagram and all these other noisy platforms like just yeah, generally just, how because i struggle with that yeah just relentless work ethic it is difficult look i mean invariably i end up ignoring a lot of people i, I hate it and i do my best yeah. not to because i just think it's really polite to reply uh, the danger is you can sometimes it, even if you reply you then it, it i mean i get about 500 messages a day so you know lots get directed around to the team and, and whatever ones i think again are pretty sort of i think are quite lazy inbound ones are really sort of quite easy to ignore because i get lots of like oh tell me who does your finance stuff and you think well i'm not the switchboard just look on linkedin you'll find anyone who finance at grenade i'm, I'm not answering that you know because yeah. it's just if i want to book a virgin flight I, I, I don't email richard you know it's sort of like so i think there's a lot of there's a lot of that very easy to ignore so you can cut out a lot of the clutter um I I post minimally on social media. I probably do maybe a post a week on LinkedIn, probably the same on Insta. Um, uh, but I, you know, if I don't post on there for a month, I don't post on there for a month. You know, I'm not I'm not that bothered. I don't really I'm not one of these people that sort of needs or wants a, a big following. You know, it, I'm sure it's nice, but the bigger the following, the more requests that you get. Admin. Um, and the danger is you answer people. And they're really appreciate, appreciative that you've answered them. But then you get another one and you might answer that. And then you get another one. And it's like, you can't just be in one-on-one -on -one communication with hundreds of people. No one can. Mm. So then you kind of end up ignoring the third one. You've answered the first two. But the problem is then you don't really get credit for answering the first two. Then they think you're a shit for ignoring them. So you kind of, you're almost better off to ignore them at the start than kind of answer a bit and ignore them because they kind of feel you're blowing them off. <laughs> but but it's worse than you see. So you, you kind of get in a, you know, a vicious circle with it. But I, you know, I do hate it. Um, and I just try and I try and answer ones where it could have had value. I get lots of people actually message me and say, "Can you? My friend's a big fan of your products, and it's his birthday today. Can you send him a happy birthday message?" No I way. Do quite a few of those. <laughs> But so, but then the problem is kind of with that. I I I, I was doing a few of those, but then and it, you know, it made this guy's day. Um, and it's great because it takes thirty seconds, and I love doing stuff like that. But then he came back the next year, so like to do it for me to do it again. And I thought I can't do this every year for the next thirty years. But also, I learned he actually wasn't following me on social media. So like he thought he's getting a personal message from founder of grenade not that i'm anyone special but i'm going out you know my time is as important as anyone's the least you could do is send me a follow the least you can actually do is kind of follow me and see all the stuff i do in the year so i sort of thought oh, you know i'm not sure he's actually that bothered about this so i just i just stopped um, that's quite funny know, i'm really to be fair i'm really conscious i never want to come across as being a you know 
a cock. I hate it when people get egos. Uh, you know, and, and again, we've all got good and bad sides and stuff, but I do really want to try and remain as ground as possible. I think it's really important. And look, I've got friends who are dustbin men. You know, I've got friends who are billionaires. So, you know, I, I do really say, and they, you know, and, and I would have replied to them all equally. So, um, it, you know, I do try and remain grounded as possible. Um, but yeah, it's something that you always have to work on because, yeah, yeah you never want to, um, you don't want to be that guy here that sort of, you know, you've kind of you've forgotten who your friends are. So, what's next for Grenade then? It's a lot more of the same. It's a really boring answer. Um, but we've got another product coming out next month. Um, so building on the success, hopefully, of our sort of partnership with Cadbury and, and Mondelez. Um, and I think for me, over the next few years, I still feel this is just the start. You know, the nice thing about a brand is it's never finished. Mm. So, you know, if I can go around the world talking about Grenade and launching it and helping it get out there, um, and people getting benefit from what we do and I build a monstrous brand that people love to get benefit from. I'll do that to the day I die. You know, so um, it's really exciting, you know, being in America and, and, and places like that. Um, so I think as long as I'm enjoying this and I feel I can add value, you know, I'll be around. I mean, outside of, um, you know, work, I like, you know, flying, training, traveling. Uh, I like shooting, I like boating, things like that. Mm. But I can do a lot of those things in with a brand. I'm really lucky. Um, I mean, I sort of found out uh, yesterday I've been, I'm going to be made an honorary colonel um, in the Royal Artillery, So which hasn't sunk in yet. I don't know all the details, to be fair. But um, I'm really excited about that because it's a huge honour. Um, mm. It's incredibly rare. I mean, Bear Grylls was made an honorary colonel of the Royal Marines, but he actually did serve in the military. So still a huge honour, but I've never I've never had any military service. So I need to find out what that involves. But the, the last thing I heard was they want me to basically fly. You're serving like the next thirty years. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm probably going to get called up to Ukraine. Um, <laughs> they uh, they want me to land the helicopter to be on the gun line on their Salisbury planes and, um, and and pin medals on soldiers. And it's just so humbling because I've never done anything to warrant receiving a medal. So the fact that I get to give the medal yeah. out to people is incredible. Really, that's better that's than awesome. a knighthood for me. So you can probably tell I'm on cloud nine about that. Yeah. Um, so that's very exciting. And look, you know, everything's super exciting. If I go flying off some of the helicopter, it's, you know, it's, it's great. But I like I like walking the cliffs in Cornwall just on a windy day, like, you know, seeing the waves cracking and it's free. I just yeah. get so much pleasure from from just being kind of happy and healthy. Anything's mm -hmm. a bonus, like I said, really. So um, keep growing the brand and, um, you know, making, if I put a number on it, making Grenade a billion dollar brand, but it's probably not far off being there, to be honest. Awesome. That's awesome. And my last question to all my guests is what do you want to be remembered for? The reason I ask this question is because I believe we've gone against the grain in terms of running businesses. is not been the easiest path in life, but sadly, when it's all said and done, like, what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah. So I think the brand itself, I'd like to, you know, to outlive me, but I think I would just like to be remembered as someone who um, you know, was honorable. If they said that they do it, they did it to the best of their ability. You know, they, they probably, someone who under-promised yet over-delivered. Um, I think, you know, and it sounds a bit crap, it doesn't just sound about being being nice, but I think just doing the right thing, how to sum it up. We all know what the right thing is, and we really do try hard to do the right thing. We can't get it right all the time. But, you know, during COVID and whatever, we, um, with the NHS, we're under tremendous pressure. You know, we we gave away, I can't remember if it was 500,000 pounds or 500,000 bottles um, or bars we, we gave away a lot of product in covid Amazing. um yeah. to the nhs and military and stuff and that's nice because it's just doing the right thing i know it costs money but you know people appreciate that 
absolutely absolutely thank you so much um for being a man of your words jumping on the podcast sharing all your wisdom um i followed you on linkedin for years and i get so much from your posts and what you share about just entrepreneurship in the uk and it's so needed rather than just like living in your own world so very very appreciative of that and oh, your my time pleasure today. what you see is what you get <laughs> Absolutely. So when they meet they're like you're exactly the same as social media which is actually true so i do that but yeah when i meet someone full of the social media they're completely different it's like it's disappointing but yeah i'm exactly the same so <laughs> amazing thank you so much have a good day you too thanks Sharina. A massive thanks to Al for jumping on the podcast and more importantly, keeping to his word all those many years ago. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I hope there was loads of tips and tricks and findings during today's conversation that you can take away and apply to your businesses. As always, I love hearing from you guys. Please reach out to me on socials. They are left in the description boxes below. But if you do want to reach out or you've got a recommendation of who I should be speaking to, drop me an email at hello at startupstartnow.co.uk. And as always, please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast. I want to be able to reach as many people as possible with the story. And I hope you guys will join me on the journey. Have an amazing week and I'll see you guys next week with some other amazing entrepreneurs. Take care.